twerking drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hello, you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. I am your host, Matthew Krause. Today, my guest will be Scott Corey. Scott is a freelance drummer and percussionist who's performed as an extra with the Nashville Symphony for over 10 years. Since 2000, he has served as an adjunct percussion faculty member at Trevecca Nazarene University. He is a founding member of the Matrix Percussion Trio, which has provided free educational concerts to over 26,000 students in the greater Nashville area. Scott's gigs range from percussion with the Nashville Symphony, Nashville String Machine, and the Nashville Chamber Orchestra. Scott is always very versed in ethnic percussion, as well as drum set, to steel drum playing. As always, you can go to workingdrummer.net and find out more about this podcast and other podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find us on iTunes, and you can subscribe to the podcast. A new podcast will be sent to your smart device. You can include a rating and a review of the podcast. This helps us grow. And as Zach has mentioned before in other podcasts, word of mouth is just as strong as any of these other social media outlets. So please tell your friends, neighbors, neighbors, friends. We appreciate that. So let's get to it. Here is Scott Corey. If you can't have like a little, let's call it friendly banter, you know, mm-hmm. back and forth, what, what kind of like band relationship or mus- musical relationship is going on if you can't have some of that stuff you know uh, to me if, if you don't have that stuff it's a little it comes off a little more sterile yeah even even in a performance it's like i mean everything technically note wise man the notes are great uh, but it's just like there's that little je ne sais quoi mm-hmm. missing what you know what is it right, right. And, the, and the more people do that to yeah. each other yeah on the bandstand and off the bandstand i think it comes out because then when they're playing you know they might look at each other and wink and it just you know inside jokes and stuff and it just it's just more fun you know the energy is just different totally and that translates to the audience oh my gosh yeah. even inside jokes uh i, I oh, used to think well we're not we're not involving them but I've done things where people said, you guys look like you're having so much fun up there. Exactly. You know? They notice it yeah. right away. Right, right. And it's funny. It's funny to me to this day. I, I think I still know a lot of musicians that's, that don't get that. Hmm. They think, you know, I just have to go out and just play great, technically, whatever. Mm-hmm. And there it is. And, and they don't ever seem to totally connect to that aspect with the audience. Um, and it's weird. And I, and you know, when I think about it sometimes too, sometimes those are some of the musicians that I think I hear complaining more about things, whether it be lack of work or they, or, you know, they, they'd like to have a better gig or a this or that. It's like, "Mm, you know, I think this is all sort of tied together Yeah, and you're just not, if, if you would realize it, things would change. Right. Could you talk more about that? Uh, only because one of the reasons why I wrote this down was, man, you you always have such a positive vibe about you, dude. Thanks. As long well, as and right back at you. Because well, I remember. What, let's see. I'm trying to remember. Were you already working at Forks when I started teaching there, or was I already teaching when you started? I was there for about two years, late '99 to 2001. 
Um, okay. So, yeah. So I think I had already been teaching maybe a couple of years. Okay. When you came, I, I try, tried to remember. I'm like, we were there at the same time. Yeah. But chicken and the egg, which one of us was there first? <laughs> I know. And, but yeah, but that's what I remembered tremendously about you was, I mean, because I, 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 man, I loved everyone who yeah. worked there. Oh, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's, again, I mean, that was one of the first things to me about you was like, man, this guy's just, he's, he's positive. He's always smiling and just like, mm. you know, and, and to back up and talk about Nashville on the whole, not the fake smile, not the fake laugh. Now it's like this guy. I hadn't learned it yet. Genuine. That's right. <laughs> you were too new. <laughs> no, but, but yeah, it's, it's amazing how far I found that attitude seems to take you. And I, I don't think I, well, I know I didn't understand that fully when I first got into town. Because mm-hmm. um, I, we can, we'll probably end up skipping around here, but I did my grad work. I got my master's at Tennessee Tech over in Cookville. Okay. And lo- long story short, the, the teacher there at the time, Joe Rasmussen, had been the assistant principal percussionist in Nashville Symphony for, I think, a couple decades at that time. Um, and also he had just, uh, taken a sabbatical before I got there working on his doctorate in West African drumming and dance. Wow. And that was kind of my main decision to end up there in grad school. Um, cause I'm originally from up near Chicago, junior high dad got a job down here in Nashville and we moved to Franklin, which in 1981, the population of Franklin was like not even 11,000. Yeah. It was real small town. Right. right. So the people I grew up, you know, Franklin junior high, Franklin high school, I grew up with a lot of salt of the earth kind of people because it was still small town. And, and that's when I fell in love with this whole area. Um, but I had a brother six years older than me who was at university of Illinois as a composition major then a piano major and he kept telling me about the department up there and they've got a steel drum band and they've got a great percussion ensemble. They got all this. So I ended up going up there okay. for my undergrad. Yeah. But, and, and actually it's funny, uh, Tom Sywe, who's a huge, uh, pedagogue and also with percussive art society. Mm-hmm. I think he kind of, he kind of saved them at points and kept it really going mm-hmm. to, to get to where it's at now. Tom, I had to sit down with Tom. I said, man, I'm really, I've really loved my undergrad years here. I think I'd like to go ahead and do a master's. And the best thing anyone could have said to me, he said, he said, well, are you planning on like staying around here to, to work? And I said, no, man, the plan's always been to go back to Nashville. I love the people. I love the place. Yeah. That's, you know, I don't want to go to LA. I don't want to go to New York. I want to be in Nashville. I want to raise a family in Nashville. I want to, and he said, get out of here. He said, go get your master's down there. You're going to meet people. You're going to kind of work into the scene at the oh, same time. Yeah. Best thing anyone could have ever done for me. So long story short, I ended up in Cookville, not quite Nashville. Sure. But, you know, my teacher is in the symphony. Yeah. He's also into West African stuff, which I had gotten big into sub-Saharan African music and stuff when I was in late high school and then through college. Okay. Um, so, so I'm like, man, I dig this. Someone who's kind of in the tuxedo world and <laughs> in the ethnomusicology world yeah. at the same time. Yeah. It's like I, I dig that because it's someone who's a lot more well-rounded yeah. than just someone who only does one thing. And that's because I, I, I think 
at a, at a deep level, somehow I knew I wasn't going to end up just doing one thing. Even though the whole thing that kind of spurred me to go to college in the first place was probably moving pictures. <laughs> and I wanted to be the next Neil. And I'm like, you know, looking, you know, dating myself here, looking at the album, at the liner notes <laughs> of an album. Mm-hmm. And, and it's listing all of his instruments. And I'm like, what are crow tails? You know, it's too dumb to know. It's like crow tallies, man. I didn't know what the, you know, what are, what are orchestra bells? What, what's all this stuff that he's playing? Yeah. You know, and all the, on all the iconic pictures when he used to have the chimes yes. behind him, you right. know, um, closer to the heart, yeah. everything. Right. It's like, man, all that stuff just drove me. And I'm like, okay, if I don't, if I don't even know how to pronounce these things, let alone what they are, yeah, I should probably go to college and get. <laughs> this stuff figured out because if I want to be Neil, I need to know, I need to know this stuff. Right. (laughs) Well, true. Uh, and that's what I was going to ask you was, um, uh, well, first of all, I want to make reinforce that point was you went to get your master's in an area where you eventually wanted to be and live and work. Yes. And that has paid off tremendously. Okay. Yeah. In fifth grade, you got to go pick an instrument mm-hmm. and start learning that. And I just, I wanted to be a trumpet player for some reason, just desperately. I don't know why, but I have no embouchure for trumpet. Right, and I right. try it out and, sure. and she's like, man, I really don't think this is your instrument. Do you want to try? Yeah. And there were like two or three tables of instruments, you know, violins and woodwinds and all. And, and I'm looking down the tables and I see a pair of drumsticks at the end. I said, how about, how about those? Yeah. And so she takes her little notes, you know, from the aptitude test and she goes, well, um, well, you kind of did the worst on rhythm on your aptitude. (laughs) (laughs) We can edit this part out. Oh No, no, but I, you know, I'm like, I don't know why, but then it was kind of in my craw, like, "Mm, I want to try it. Yeah. So she reluctantly, you know, picks up a pair of sticks herself. She says, okay, play this back to me. And she plays some rinky dink rhythm that I immediately play back. She's like, Oh, okay, well play this. It says something a little longer, a little more difficult. I play it back. And she, this goes on for a few minutes. She just keeps making it longer and harder. And apparently mm-hmm. I played everything back to her. Nice. And she's like, okay, we're going to put you on drums. And there it is. Wow. Okay. And that's kind of where I started to find my own musical voice at least. Right. Was there. Cause it's like, okay, my brother's piano. I'm drums. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on through high school, did you have any uh, extra private teaching? I did. um, Let's see. I don't think it was until high school. And I think with at Franklin, the the band, the marching band, the drum line, everything was very competitive um, back then. Because that this was anyone who knows it, the the P. Wayne Simpson era Hmm. at Franklin, where they were winning like national championships and stuff like that. Um, I was kind of coming in at the tail end of that with, with P Wayne Simpson. Um, so yeah, everything got real competitive and our drumline teacher at the time was a guy named Richard Suggs, who I think he was a student at Belmont actually studying with Sam Bacco at Belmont. Interesting. And he was teaching in Franklin at chef's music. Uh And so I started mainly, I was taking like snare drum lessons at first yeah. with him. And then I was able to convince mom, you know, let's 
let me get some drum set in here, even though my parents still had refused to buy me a drum set at this point. You know, it's wow. kind of that thing. Well, you know, we'll get it when we can, when you can prove to us yeah. that you're going sure. you know, they didn't want to blow the bread on. Right, right, sure. So yeah, it wasn't until Christmas of my sophomore year in high school, they finally broke down, went to Sears and got me the, the Max Win by Pearl mm-hmm. kit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. But dude, I wore it out. As soon as I got that, you know, man, I was I was getting big time into rush and everything. So, mm-hmm. oh, just hours spent yeah. in the bedroom spinning yeah. vinyl and <laughs> trying to keep it from skipping. Yes, while you're, yeah, <laughs> no, I totally yeah. understand. Yeah. Now you can get anything anywhere at the touch of a button right. in seconds. Yeah. yeah. And we, and we didn't have that, you know, we had, you've got, like you said, you've got bits of it here, you've got bits of it there. So, and we had to search out. Yeah. Do you think that makes us more motivated or at the time when you had to work for it, when you had to seek it out, when you found that nugget of information, it was like, it was gold. It, it was like it mining absolutely gold. was gold. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think that has, I think it's been a game changer you know, the, the ease of access to everything. Yes. Just like a double edged sword, man. I mean, there's some real positives to it, right? But I think there are a lot of negatives, you know, and as good as, I mean, dude, you can check out these, these little kid phenoms, if you will, yep. on their YouTube channel yes. for days. Yep. But it, it, it's so weird. Cause I, I talk a lot of my colleagues, we always come around to this um, and it's educational colleagues and just player colleagues mm-hmm. we always get to the same thing it, it's like um you know they're man they're great they're phenomenal yeah doing their own thing on their youtube channel yeah but you put them with a band and it's almost always a different story right it's like you know they can do it in their own bedroom you know mm-hmm. with the with the camera and everything right there but you put them with other people where you really have to react yeah. and interact and it's like it ain't happening. Right, right. But they sounded so great on their YouTube channel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because uh, sometimes family or friends, they'll they'll send me a link. Hey, check out this six-year-old playing Same here. Yep. something. And, you know, half the time I don't even click on it. Or I'll watch yeah. two seconds of it. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. But it's missing the point. Right. It's almost like, uh, well, you must watch American Idol or you must... Do some. It's like no. Look, I live in a different reality. Exactly. Yeah. But but people on the outside just sort of lump it all together. Yeah. As oh, you, you must do some of this, or, or at least be interested. Yeah. And it's like it's sometimes it's hard to explain. Yeah, I'm. I really don't get into that at all. Yeah. Or, yeah. Well, and uh, like we covered a little bit with with Eddie, uh, yeah. we were talking before. Uh, my interest goes as far as understanding the weight and the, the game changer that something like The Voice or American Idol can be in the can, industry yes. or the access to information can be to young people, uh, whether you're an educator or a performer mm-hmm. and how that affects the industry overall. Yeah. So, yeah, from a player, as a professional, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to spend my time. Uh, caring who's winning American Idol this season, but how does that affect the industry from a teaching standpoint, from a performance? 
uh, who's doing what. Um, I don't know, just uh, just in all these different ways, or, or even from a retail standpoint. You know, what are people gravitating towards? Oh, without a doubt, man. You yeah, it, it has tremendous effects across the board. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think you know, as as an educator, I, I always have to try and temper that stuff. You know, because I'll see. You know, I've been teaching adjunct at Trevecca Nazarene University right. now for. Since 16 and a half years, going on 17, I think wow, now. Wow. Um, which, yeah, that's gone by in a flash. <laughs> um, but, you know, to see a number of kids in their basically, you know, right around 20s. Yes. You know, beginning to early 20s. Seeing a number of generations of that now, um, you start to see the tremendous effect of especially like YouTube channels and stuff like that. I mean, they're always coming in saying, well, but I, I saw this guy do it like this on his yep. YouTube video. Yeah. And, and it's so hard cause it's like, once they see something like that, they, they're immediately taking it like that's gospel. Interesting. And then and as, as a teacher, sometimes you're having to kind of back them up and go, okay, wait a second. Okay. That that's one way to get away with that or something. But let me try to point out ways that are better you know, or let me try to point out some of the faults. And but in their mind, it's almost like it's already gospel. So and you almost I'm have having, to unravel. Yeah, you've got to erase that somehow. Okay. It's like give me your mind's eye for a second. Let me erase that and let's put this in. Interesting. Yeah. So it's it, it's weird, but the thing is, I mean, you can't you can't ignore it. Right. It's it's there. Yes. You just have to figure out how to work with it. Mm-hmm. Or you're just going to end up with a student that's always kind of digging their heels in mm-hmm. to everything that you say. And that's like, okay, as an educator, I've just failed then. If all I did was help them put a wall up between the two of us, how am I educating them? Yeah. You know, I'm basically just getting them to dig their heels in deeper to things that they believe are the way to do it. Mm. So, yeah, it's kind of it's like tap dancing around that stuff. To, so to as an educator, you have to recognize that it's it exists. Oh yeah, and it's there, and and that's they're going to find out information from that. Yes, you just I, have to teach them how to interpret that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and again, it's a double edged sword, man. There's yeah. quite often I'm saying, hey, go check out you know this YouTube video with Gad, or you know, yeah, uh, yeah there's great stuff out there, right? As right, well, right. But there's just there's so much. Let's just call it not so great stuff. <laughs> the, the percentage, man, the ratio of not so great to like phenomenal. Yeah, um, the, the not so great stuff wins. Can we have a new YouTube channel? Not so great YouTube. Do we? Great YouTube. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Voted by a committee. I got my Max Win kit. Yes. Sophomore year Christmas, right? Yeah. A year and a half later. So it's, I've just finished my junior year yeah. in high school. Summer has started. And literally one day, my brother, who's up at University of Illinois, mm-hmm. calls mom and dad and said, look, we just, I'm music director. We're doing Evita at this theater. We just started the first of a three-week three run. And the drummer quit after the opening weekend. And he said, can you put Scott on a Greyhound with his drums <laughs> and send him up here yeah. for another couple of weeks. And I didn't, you know, I, I 
played in like stage band at high school. Of course, did all marching band and concert band. You sure. know, did all that stuff and had the had the high school. We had our our little rush wannabe garage band <laughs> going on. Um, but I, you know, I'd never done anything like this. I'm 17. I don't. You know, I'm still just trying to figure out how to be a kid at this point. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, my mom says, "Okay, sure." And so I'm like trying to find some cases to put my drums in and get all this, you know, and, and dad drives me up, you know, the old Greyhound bus stop used to be right there on what eighth Avenue yeah. South of Broadway, you know, oh, yeah. takes me right up there, sure, you know, and puts me on a bus, you know, the bus driver puts all the drums and everything under the bus. Wow. And I hop on the bus with a cassette tape and my Walkman, <laughs> I've got, I, I've got two cassette tapes with me, yeah. right? I've got Evita. The original yeah. Broadway cast, yeah, because I, I figure this is the only thing I don't have music or anything. I can just listen to this thing. Okay, I've got that, and I've got the recently released "Dream of the Blue Turtles," right, with Omar Hakim, which was just yes. freaking blowing my mind. Yes, so I'm just like going. I'm alternating listening to the two cassette tapes on the drive all the way up to Champaign, wow. Illinois, and I get up there, you know, and I realize right away. This this Evita musical, man, there's some cool, I mean, it's basically rock-based, and there's a lot of, there's like seven, eight stuff, and, you know, there's some mixed meters, and all. I'm like, okay, this is kind of like Rush Light or something, right? <laughs> it, it, it's, yeah. yeah. And, but it was but it was very intriguing to me because it's, I mean, it's, it's rock, and it's got odd time. So I'm like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get up there. My brother meets me at the, at the bus station, and we go right over to the theater, set up my drums and he pulls out the book. And he's like, okay, let's, let's hit a few of the things in here. And so we kick in, you know, we're jumping into seven, eight stuff and all this. You stuff. Are already I'm just reading, I'm just reading were, the charts yeah, down sure, best right. I can. Uh-huh. And, and then using my ears, you know, if I get lost, I'm just listening to him. Right. I'm like, where do I think he's at? I think he's here. Bam. You know, and most mm-hmm. of the time just landing where he's at and, and figure out very quickly how to get myself back on track. If I lose my spot in the music. Yeah just by listening. Um, and so we run through, I don't even know if we went through half of the tunes mm-hmm. and he's like, you hungry? I want some pizza. Let's go get some pizza. I'm like, dude, don't I have to play a show tomorrow night? Oh, you'll be fine. Don't worry. Wow. I, I don't even think I went through half of the show. Okay. So, so my introduction to the professional music world, cause I, since I was getting paid for this was getting thrown into a show and a whole, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand the musical theater, you know, that vibe, that whole thing, it's all brand new to me. So there's cues involved. Oh yeah. There's cues. There's, you got to listen to this. you got to vamps, uh-huh. you know, where you just, okay, you're just going to play the same thing over and over until you see my head go up and down You know, that's what my brother would tell me. Yeah. My, uh, okay. So he gave you some of those. So he cues. gave me some ideas of what was happening, but we didn't run through half of the music. I'm, I'm quite sure. How did that first show go? So it, it actually went great, which for a seventeen-year-old boy on drums to all of a sudden have all the all the girls in the cast coming back like you're the savior or something for you know Yikes. their drummer had quit man they thought this was going to be yeah garbage yeah and to me it was just you know it was it was playing Rush Light and you know and I was having a blast doing that and and my brother you know we're smiling at each other you know doing the brother thing yeah just having fun yeah. and uh and yeah it was like oh man that's talk about getting a big head. <laughs> it's like whoa i could get into this man 
Right. It's better than a rock star, man. All the cast, they're all like back here, like right. hugging me and like, oh, you saved us. You. So, I mean, that was, there couldn't have been a better start. I'll be here all summer. Oh. <laughs> Thank like you, pizza. Urbana. <laughs> yeah, I like pizza. <laughs> but, and, and the funny thing is that, that experience there in a nutshell is kind of how I've gotten a lot of my gigs. Um, I tell, I tell students and, and friends this all the time. I'm like the luckiest guy who just trips into stuff. I've, I've rarely auditioned for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you know, you get recommended by someone yeah. or, you know, or someone heard you playing this and like, Hey, I want you to play that. Or, you know, or you just get thrown into stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's a lot of what I've done. Right. Seems to me more like it's a complete accident. It was happenstance. As an undergrad, man, I was still, there's, I, I realized very quickly, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm shedding four mallet stuff to try to catch up to the older guys. You know, I'm shedding timpani all the time to try to catch up to the older mm-hmm. guys, trying to mm-hmm. get all this stuff happening. And it really, it wasn't until I was at tech in grad school when all of a sudden I'm like, a really big fish in a smaller pond, so to speak. Mm. Um, I, I ended up every semester I was basically playing in like every ensemble that I could. Um, except I came in mid year. I came in like in January. Okay. Um, and so the, the jazz band director didn't know me, didn't know, didn't even know I played drum set. A lot of people, it's so funny. They knew a grad percussion student was coming in. Yeah. They all assumed I was like the timpani mallet God or something. Mm-hmm. No right. one even assumed I played drum set at all. Yeah. And I come in that first semester and met one of my lifelong friends who unfortunately lives all the way over in Knoxville now. So we don't get to play with each other yeah. or anything. Uh, Josh Wright on bass yeah. was, was playing bass in the jazz band. He was sort of a young phenom type mm-hmm. in there. And another percussion student, Jerry Carpenter, who actually does a lot of drum corps stuff. I think he does a lot of writing and okay. works with a lot of lines still uh, on that circuit. He, he's a great percussionist. He was also a great self-taught jazz pianist. Hmm. And he had a recital coming up that first semester I was there. Mm-hmm. And he knew I played a little drum set. So he's like, man, how about you and Josh and I get together, just bass, drums, piano, and let's just, you know, let's just go through a couple tunes and see, you know, maybe we'll all do the recital together. And so we get in there and like everything clicked instantly. Yeah. With between me and Josh on bass, with Jerry on piano. I mean, everything was just like if someone just decided to go left, the other two knew he's going yeah. left, and it just everything just moved. That there was no need to say anything. It's you know, that, yeah. I mean, those those. Musical moments are so beautiful. They are, yeah. When you guys all somehow know each other so well, even though I had just met these guys, I mean, we all did not know each other. Sometimes that happens. But it just happened, yeah. and it was just, it was one of those moments. And so then, and and I was, man, I was big at that time. Little little four-piece kit, but I had what seemed like 17 cymbals. Or you know, I had like three <laughs> different rides. Cymbal. I had a flat ride. You yeah, know, yeah. I've got, I've got the little six inch splash, but then I also have a couple of small crashes. And right. I, I was a very, I'm, I've always been a symbol, a uh, oriented like Paul Wertico guy. Of, uh, it was, it was, except just not as good playing <laughs> <laughs> dude, Paul Wertico. Come on. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but that, so that was like my drum set audition 
for the rest of the faculty and everything okay. who didn't know I played drum set. I play on this guy's senior recital. Yeah. And, and, you know, at least in our minds, we, we seem to be killing it that night. Right. Um, and then many of the faculty and all, they, they're all like, wow. So the next thing, like from that moment on, I was the top jazz band drummer for the rest of my time there. Wow. And the timpanist and the symphonic band, I played percussion, basically like principal percussion in the orchestra. Mm-hmm. And then my teacher played timpani. Um, the West African drumming and dance. Mm. I would, people were immediately asking me to play in other things. Like if they had like the trumpet ensemble needed a jazz drummer or a timpanist, right? I'm right in there, mm-hmm. you know, all this. So I, I was playing in, I don't know how many different ensembles every week, weekend, week out for a couple of years while I was in grad school. That was one of the best experiences of my life. Cause it was literally, I was playing something all the time. Yeah. And, but it was always different. You know, I'm yeah. on drum set here. I'm on timpani there. Yeah. You know, now I'm playing snare drum in the orchestra. And now I'm, you know, I'm playing bells and percussion ensemble. I mean, it's just, it sounds amazing. Yeah. And it, it was yeah. just a lot of fun. And then I do, I'd go up to Cumberland County playhouse on the weekends Jeez. and I'd play shows yeah. mainly on kit. Wow. Through the weekend. Yeah. Um, and fortunately, okay. My wife and I were married before we finished undergrad. Okay. Um, and so that, and see, that's another thing. Um, the family aspect, which yes. we got, we got to get to, cause man, that, that totally affects most everything that I do or, or try to do because I mean, it's all one big package. It affected our interview just and today. Absolutely. No. <laughs> <laughs> which by the way, happy father's day. From hey, yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. Um, but, but yeah, it, I mean, it has to. Otherwise, I think you're going to screw one or the other up. Yes. Because um, I know too many people that have. And yeah. Um, yeah, there's that. And that's a whole other podcast probably right there. It's just well, family. It, and um, it, it is. And it, but I mean, this is this is a big part of I, I think that uh, needs to be discussed. Uh, because yeah. uh, we we fall into music because it it's something uh, clicks in us and and yes. we develop a passion for it and it's a it's a lifestyle mm-hmm. it's a um, it's a it's not just work it's just kind of it's an identity it's who you are and um, being uh, having a relationship having developing relationship with people yeah. and having a family that's as much of who you are and identity as anything else, you know? Absolutely. It so is. I think there's a lot of parallels and, um, to balance the two is, I think it can, it can be done. Yes. And, Oh, uh, it can, it can, but it, balance yeah. is the key. So, so you got married relatively young. Yeah. So it was, you were in the thick of it. Well, it was like, wife? right right around our senior year okay. at Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we had dated for a few years. I, I met her, uh, uh, I, I met my future wife at that point, mm-hmm. like my second semester yeah. in college mm-hmm. and dating got very serious. And I knew again, you know, talk about the, like the little voice, yeah. you know, I knew this was going to be an important part of my life. Yeah. And I think early on I knew this is who I want to be spending it with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I also, you know, I also kind of, for lack of better word, had to kind of test her. I said, you know, 
she had grown up in East Peoria, Illinois. Uh-huh. Her mom still lives in the same house, you know, where she was born and right. raised. I mean, you know, she's, she's a homebody as far as that's, I mean, that's her one and only place. Right. And now all of a sudden the guy she's dating seriously in college says, by the way, I'm moving to Nashville. Yeah. That's, I'm going to be a musician in Nashville. And that's, you know, there's really no debate or anything. Yeah. I'm just putting it out here. Mm-hmm. And as, as far as I could tell, you know, maybe she's hidden something from me all these years, but as far as I could tell, you know, it, it may have taken a little bit for her to kind of totally grasp that. Yeah. But, but I think once she did, it was like, okay, all in. And what did she do? What was, what was her and, and she, area of study interest? She is an accountant. Okay. Um, way smarter than me, which, you know, if you, especially if you see like George Lawrence posts and Nashville drummers and stuff, it's like marry an accountant, you know, George, you're, you're, you're spot on. Man. And that's what I did. I found someone smarter than me that, you me know, too, man. Me was going, too. <laughs> that's, <laughs> when you hit me up with the message, yeah, you know, what I like to do, the interview and everything. And man, and, and here, I'm sorry, I'm, I got to. I got to give you props right here. You're such a modest guy. Your, your, your message was like, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this or not. The, the working. Tra- and I'm like, dude, yes. I'm like, are you sure you mean to ask me to do this? It's like, yeah. <laughs> were you looking at the next Scott on your list? <laughs> I'm down to one T Scott's. Now. It's, oh, there you go. Okay. You ran through the gamut of two T's and now we're, of course, you know, that's Gary Forkham's nickname for me is one T. <laughs> He's, he, he, he kept calling me that. And then one day he said, well, that, I figure that's your Native American name, 1T. <laughs> and so now everyone, uh, Ashley Jager over at Pearl, she always calls me 1T. Karuba, Glenn Karuba calls me 1T. Uh, and all these guys. I love that. that sounds, everyone at Forks, so if, they, if they know me, they're like, hey, 1T. <laughs> <laughs> What's that guy's name? What's his real name? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, where, where was I going here? See, I, sorry. I need a tangent again for a second. Because <laughs> one of the things I, I, oh, I'll get back to it. You were asking about the week and everything. I'll come yeah. back to that in a second. Yeah. Um, but it, since I just mentioned Gary's name, one man, one of the biggest things I think, and I'm sure it goes on in other cities to an extent, but one of the things that really feels big and important to me in, in Nashville is that this network of people yeah. that whether they realize it or not have helped you like beyond belief. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Gary Forkham mm-hmm. is going to be right in there. Cause when I first moved to town, I was working with a couple of people. We were trying to get a thing off the ground called Nashville percussion Institute. That mm. was supposed to be like right. a, like an MI or a Berkeley or something yep. mm-hmm. in Nashville, which yep. I still man to any, anyone who decides to listen to this man, why isn't there one going on in town? There should be something yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, but long story short, there, there was a lot of work going into trying to get that happening without enough students actually being generated at the same time that sure. whereas it was, it was a great experience for me. It was good to do it while my wife and I were early into our marriage. And you know, mm-hmm. this, that whole period before kids was a great time to try different things right. that I had a passion for, but maybe didn't have the financial rewards sitting right in front of me at the moment. Sure. Right. Sure. It's like, this is the time to risk stuff is right now. Uh, of course. Right. Yeah. And, and that's been a, that's been a topic for sure. Like when you can afford to, to take some of these chances, yes. do it. 
Yes. Yeah. And so I was doing it, man. You know, mm -hmm. a, an opportunity was presented. I jumped in. And after, after a few years, it just wasn't working out for what I needed. I, I don't think my wife ever said anything, man. She's, she's great. But I think I was starting to feel like, okay, can I justify not having enough students compared to all the time I'm putting in? Can I justify that? Mm -hmm. to, right now, my family is my wife. Right. Mm -hmm. Can I, and, and the answer at a certain point was no, I can't. Mm. And so I had to just then up and leave, you know, there's a lot of time invested in this, but you also have to know it's, it's like the gambler, you know, <laughs> you gotta know, no one to walk away, no one to run, man, you know, exactly. No one to hold them, no one to fold them. <laughs> and, and dude, man, Kenny Rogers, you helped me out right there. Cause it was time. That's going to be your quote. And I had to fold. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, but no, I, I had to come to that realization. It's uh -huh. time to walk away. And like literally, I had a couple weeks later, I had to go into Forks to, to buy something. We're, we're drummers. We go into Forks and we buy stuff. Yes. Um, and I go in there and I was, getting, I was doing the purchase. And then all of a sudden, I think Gary wasn't there. He was in the office. And he came out and caught me like right at the tail end. And, and essentially like, the school that I was trying to create, we sort of got tied up with um, a, a man by the name of Tommy Winkler that had pro percussion up in Madison for years. And okay. then he moved it into downtown Nashville and moved us in with him on uh, Lafayette up near for people who've been here for a long time, like a couple blocks from the old Sears building, which is the old Sears is the mission. Now the Nashville rescue mission. Okay. Right. Okay. So it was like right up there. It was this big thing. Uh, John Aldridge had not so modern drummer. He had an office in there for mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Tommy had the storefront. He had machinery in the back to, to build drums. So, I mean, literally I'm a teacher for the competition. Yeah. Basically back then. Yeah. I was just trying to get this idea. We were trying to make it become a reality. So, literally two weeks after I quit that and I'm in forks buying something, Gary, who could, would have been in, in total rights to come up to me and say, Hey jerk, how's it going? You know, no, Gary's not like that at all. No, Gary no. comes up. He just asks how it's going. I said, man, you know, it, not, it, not real well. I actually had to leave. Gary turns right around. He said, you know, I'm about to add a new teaching room up here. Do you want to come teach? Yes. Yeah. And, and he's like, I'm not charging you rent. I'm not just fill it with students. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm kind of standing here going, what <laughs> did I just hear you say what you, what I think you said. Mm -hmm. And cause that's man, that's all Gary has ever been to me. It's like, yeah, sweetest guy, salt of the earth. I mean, everything right there. Right. And so the next thing I'm teaching, you know, I just went out and figured out how to drum up students on my own. Yeah. And filled the practice rooms, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because what Forks was closing at six back then. Right. So I only had from like three to six yeah. to get students in there. Right. But I filled them up. I think within six months, I'd filled every spot I had oh. in there. That's not a, um, and that's not an easy thing in a town like Nashville no. where everyone's neighbor is a musician and to get oh, students yeah. to come to a music store. Yes. Like in a maybe in a, just a more traditional setting. Uh, it's it's harder to do because a lot of people are like, well, my neighbor's a drummer. I'll just take lessons from him oh, yeah. or whatever. It's it's. 
I, I tried to teach there briefly and did not put the time in to make it happen. Uh, yeah, because it, yeah, it definitely takes some work. Yeah. To get That's that awesome. to generate, yeah. especially initially generate yeah. the kids coming in. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I'm, you know, I'm forever indebted to Gary for stuff like, and then, and while I was working there, you know, I think that's when I bought my set of vibes and, and Gary, you know, you know, Gary, what is, what's going to cost me for a set of vibes? And, and, and man, Gary was more than generous to me on way too many occasions. He's um, been, he's been awesome. And he's, he's been, uh, supportive of the, the podcast as well. You know? Yeah. And I saw, I didn't see until just a day or two ago that you did a podcast with, yeah, Gary, I was kind of looking back through a bunch yeah, of them. I'm yeah, like, man, well, yeah. I've got to go listen to that. Yeah, now. he he's, he helped uh, sponsor a few episodes as well. Nice to just to help us out when we were uh, starting out. And yeah, that, that was great. No, Gary's been Gary's been great. He's been a fixture, and and it's it's he's come up uh, many times as far as this, with this community. Oh yeah, you know, with with this community, he's you know, right there sure. in the center yeah. of it, man. Yeah. If not the center, yeah. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. What um, you, we talked uh, briefly about family, um, yeah, and uh, so how do you? Because I want to get into kind of what you're doing now and your involvement with the symphony, yeah. Um, so that's I know it's it's kind of connected, but completely two different things. So, well, no, it is. It's yeah, it's all connected. It, it is. It all is connected. all connected. <laughs> well, okay, so like right there, you know. Yeah. So I, I mean, I got to give. Props to Gary for a number of things over the years. Sam Bacco. Yep. I, I think I could start thanking him right now and and keep going until the day I die and and probably not get enough thank yous in mm-hmm. to Sam. Because I see, you know, coming out of grad school, even though I was studying with the assistant principal percussionist in the symphony, mm-hmm. that wasn't my goal, my goal was still Neil Peart, you know, mm-hmm. and I still have to this day, don't know how to make that happen, but it's still there. <laughs> well, man. I hear he's leaving the band. So it's, well, I thought I heard that, <laughs> um, but you know, so drum set and all that was, that was still supposed to be the number one goal. Yeah. Right. And that's what I'm pursuing mainly. So, you know, I wasn't, it's not like I was going to a bunch of the symphony concerts. I mean, my wife and I would go, they used to play out at Carnton, out in Franklin, mm-hmm. in the summer concert series. Mm-hmm. There was the Italian street fair mm-hmm. for years. They right. played at that. You know, so there were a number of things that we would go to, but I wasn't like, I, I wasn't like schmoozing for a gig or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah, my old teacher plays here, but I, you know, I want to be Neil. <laughs> you know, that's and so that's where my you know it's kind of like horse with the blinders on, yeah. looking down that corridor. And after being in town for a few years, um, I, I, I hate it had happened this way, but uh, do you know, are you familiar with Farrell Morris? No. Longtime percussionist in town. Okay. You actually are. If you've ever listened to Margaritaville, the intro, the marimba. Okay. That's Farrell Morris. <laughs> okay. Playing marimba. He played on just a ton of sessions. Wow. Um, he was also a regular extra with Nashville Symphony. Yeah. Until this time, I think he had had some hand injury problems or something and had to kind of bow out of that. And what, from what I've been told, that's when I got the call. I see. To try, kind of try out as, a, as an extra. Okay. You know, so it was wasn't this? an audition. It was, um, I think this was late 99. All right. Um, and, and actually, my, the first thing I did was playing for the ballet for Swan Lake. 
And for some reason, Bill Wiggins, the timpanist, was out of town, and Sam Bacca was also out of town. Yeah. And so my teacher was the principal percussionist, basically. Yeah. And he was playing timpani. Yeah. Um, and so then I, I was hired in to play mainly snare drum and, and this uh, kind of tricky castanet part uh-huh. in there. Um, and, and man, all right, talk about how you need to learn on your feet as quickly as possible. Yeah. I, I was raised in such a marching slash concert band environment. A downbeat, you know, the listeners can't see this, but when the conductor's hand or baton comes down, yes, it, it's called a downbeat because it hits the bottom of that. Right. And that's when those conductors want the sound. In a concert right, band setting. In a concert or marching setting. Marching it's like band When setting. it comes down, yes. before it starts to go back up, that, that's, that's the downbeat. That's right. the ictus where it changes. That's where you have to hit, mm-hmm. right? In most every orchestra. Yes. It comes down and hits. Yes. And it's maybe halfway back up. Yes. Before the downbeat. Yes. So you're catching it somewhere on the way back up. If you hit right when that baton is at the bottom, it's too early. You're way early. Interesting. And you're a sore thumb, man. And that's what I was in those first couple of rehearsals on <laughs> snare drum. It's like, oh, you know, I can just sneak in with the snare drum, right? <laughs> Bap. <laughs> there it is. Right? There's no sneaking in, man. Yeah. It's right there. And so I very quickly had to figure out how to like take a deep breath every time I saw the big one coming yeah, down. Yeah. Take a breath, wait, yeah. and listen. Where where's the rest of the orchestra? You know, they've been doing this for a while. They yeah. they know what they're doing. Right. They they're not supposed to change to me. I've got to figure they already have a good thing going. Yeah. I've got to figure out how to get on those tracks with them. And that man, that was a lot of on your feet. And this was your first time experiencing that with Swan Lake? Yeah, with Nashville Symphony. Okay. Playing playing for the ballet. Okay. Um and yeah, so and so Sam wasn't even on that gig. And I remember I think the second gig that I did, which came a couple months later, um I had uh I'm trying to remember what the piece was, but it had it actually had some intricate triangle playing, like flams and and roughs and everything on triangle. Wow. And and I was kind of doing the lazy man's way, which is clip it to the music stand and grab two beaters and play it like a snare drum. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh-huh. And Sam was, I think playing snare drum right next to me and like almost instantly he's like shaking his head at me and he's like, <laughs> what are you doing? What, and, and, and I'm just like, yeah, uh, playing triangle. It's <laughs> like, no, you're not. And he's like, he picks it up and he, st- he does it one handed. He's doing the grace notes like around three yeah. and four sides and everything. And I'm just going, this is very cool. I didn't, I didn't experience this in college doing this, some of these techniques. Yeah. And so, but you know, but I'm like, man, Sam, you're grumpy or something. And that, which couldn't have been further from the truth. He's, he's the head dude. Yeah. It's his section. Yeah. And, and essentially I'm doing something that's screwing that up. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, I'm making the section look bad. I'm making him look bad or what. So I, I learned very quickly there, man, any any comments, concerns, anything that Sam ever has, it's like, okay, number one, he knows like encyclopedic volumes more than I do mm. about this stuff mm. and has been doing it a lot longer than I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If he says he hears something different or I need to do something different, guess what? I'm doing something different. Yeah. This isn't my section. 
Yeah. This is, and, and he knows a lot more. And I tell you what, every single time, even there've been many times where he'd say something, he'd suggest something. And I, my initial thought in my mind is that that's not going to sound good. Mm. And of course, guess, guess who was wrong? <laughs> that, that would be me. <laughs> that would be me. And I, cause I ended up doing what he wanted. And it's like, Oh man, that really was so yeah, right. Yeah. And it's funny cause sometimes it's just, it's very subtle things, uh-huh. but you know, Sam, I think he kind of came up behind Farrell, Farrell Morris, and and has done stuff in the studios for for decades. Yes, all kinds of. Re- I mean, he's done recordings with Garth Brooks, and mm-hmm. I mean, just Amy you Grant. name it. Yeah, and he's yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so he understands finesse from the orchestral stage and the mic in the studio. Yeah, you know, because you don't you don't overpower stuff in the studio. You right. you know you play to the mic. Yeah. You, you get, you figure out something with the engineer and you yeah. get that, you know, right. and it's, you know, so he's got all that stuff down. Well, and a couple points, uh, that I just kind of want to reiterate yeah. that you've been making here is the fact that after this intense education that you put yourself through, mm-hmm. there was still learning to be had Oh, much. God, and, yes. and, and, and I yeah. think that, just want to throw this out there yeah. that um, I know I I just had my undergraduate and my, my dad was always like, hey, if you ever want to go back to school, I said, dad, I am learning every day, every week yes. that I'm That's in this right environment. There. And to be open to that and not say, well, I've got this degree and I studied with this person, that the, your learning continues to, to happen. Oh, absolutely. And especially it's, from those that like Sam, who learned the same way that you're, you know, that, that we all learn after school. He, it's, 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 doing. it's the real life doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, every, uh, podcast I have kind of an aha moment. It just, it just happens. And I love, and I just want to just let you know that the whole baton thing, the downbeat in a symphony conductor, Every time I go to the symphony, I'm going, how do they know where the downbeat is? <laughs> it's blowing my mind yes. I'm watching the conductor and, and, and hearing the timpani player. I'm like, he's not, that's not the downbeat. So mystery right. solved. That's amazing. Yeah. And is that, that's just a thing with, the symph- with a symphony? Is that a style? I, I, well, I would, I would say orchestras in general if you have a that's, guest conductor that's come kind of, in. That's, oh, yeah. And then, you know, and the whole trick there, a guest comes in, and the whole trick is to f- try to figure out very quickly for, from everyone in the orchestra, oh. where does that conductor feel the the beginning of the sound, the articulation of that downbeat? Where does he or she feel it? So it Because they, they, they're different. Interesting. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, there there have been times where that okay you see the baton come down to the bottom yeah and it's going up and it's going up it's going and, and you're and you're like oh my god you can't go any higher and that's where they want the downbeat it's like way up here is there ever discussion and it's or you just know it's just a, kind of an understood and everyone figures it out and then passes the word i've got it i've got it no. it's, <laughs> it's telepathy man it's all like <laughs> spread the word <laughs> no but it but it's and that's what amazes me Every time I play with the orchestra, a, a lot of a, a lot of people, I think, in an orchestral setting, use some kind of similar reference. It's breathing with the rest of the orchestra. 
Mm-hmm. You learn even even playing percussion. I have to learn how to breathe. Yes, like the wind players and the brass player, and right. and sometimes I literally inhale mm-hmm. before getting to one of those downbeats because it just helps me react more like they are. Yeah, even though I'm not putting wind through the instrument. So we, your work with the symphony wasn't necessarily an audition. Was it? No, I, well, I think the audition was being hired those first few times. Yeah. And how do I do it? And how? And and you know, looking back, I, I don't think I was as cognizant in the moment. But I think also the camaraderie amongst the players, because one, th- I was just talking, I think, to Chris Brooks last week about this. I said, man. After I'd played with the symphony, maybe the first six or eight months, mm-hmm. you know, a gig here, a gig there, mm-hmm. and I had started to work with all of the regular extras. Um, I was looking at it one day. I'm like, how do we all fit together? I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't get. I mean, we're very different in many ways. Yeah. And then after, as it continued on, uh, my employment continued on. And I would think about it more, and all of a sudden, it was like one of those epiphanal moments. It's like. Sam Bacco, man, you're like the the chemist, you know, uh-huh. with all the, it's like, how do those chemicals go together? Ask the chemist. He knows. And he, he knew that in advance. And that's why he's put this section together. Yeah. Even going down who's going to play as an extra is because he's already figured all this stuff out from your strengths and weaknesses as a player on all the various instruments mm-hmm. to the personality, to the way you're going to fit in mm-hmm. on this. He's got it all down. Yeah. And that, man, that was a game changer right there to realize I, I was, I was thinking on a very shallow level. How, like how do these personalities fit together? Or whatever. Sam was thinking about everything. Mm. Personality and player and, and playing and playing on every individual instrument and how all of that's going to yeah. come together and yeah. like, and work ethic and you know, yeah. Who's coming in totally prepared? Who's, you know, um, and, and how can they read Yeah, if it's got to be spur of the moment? And I mean, it's all, he's got all that in there. So how do you balance that stuff? How do you maintain a jack of all traits and master of all these things? Matt, I... I don't know if I can give a succinct answer to that, but I mean, right, well, you thank just, you so much for your time. You're right. <laughs> no, I, it's, it's kind of like you, you just do it. Yeah. There's certain things that have to be done in, in for any gig. It doesn't matter if it's, if you call, say it's, you know, oh, well, that's just a basic country gig or that. No, there's homework that has to go in to yeah. everything that you do. Yeah. And if you don't, I mean, it's like it's anybody in any situation. If you yeah. don't do the homework you need to do, it's not going to end well. Yeah. It's, you know, and so for me. So taking it seriously. Yeah. In situation. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I've got to look at stuff in advance. Um, well, okay. So backing up to what I do kind of on a regular basis, I told you I'd get back to this, you know, like <laughs> what's your week like? Okay. So that Sunday morning when you sent me the message. Yes. It was we were just finishing church rehearsal uh-huh. and then I play, I play drum sets, uh, drum sets set, just one. 
<laughs> wow, yeah, you I'd are new to, man. <laughs> I thought you had one extra arm that I remember. Um, but no, uh, so so I do do that uh, at a church over in uh, Mount Juliet every week, doing mm-hmm. two church services on drum set. Um, so when I got that message from you that morning, let's see, I, the the crazy week leading up to that was like I had done a freelance gig the weekend before at First Baptist Church, which mm-hmm. was literally like get an email, hey, contract orchestra, First Baptist. Um, here's the rehearsal time. Here's the performance time. Can you do it? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And somewhere, you know, a couple of days out, there's an equipment list. So we get an idea of what instruments we're going to be playing on, but we don't see any music till we show up to rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So it's all sight reading Wow. and trying to figure out like before rehearsal starts, um, uh, I'm going to play this. Can you cover this? Can you, okay. But here, can you cover this so I can grab this part? Oh, you know, so we're yeah. doing all this n- yeah. instant navigation and penciling in, you know, Sure. You know, name who's playing what and, oh. and all this. So there, there was that. And, and in fact, right after that, that, uh, that service ended at about seven thirty that Saturday night. And I drove right out to my old alma mater, Franklin high school yeah. to play steel drums for, they were having like a seniors lock in that yeah. night. Uh-huh. And, uh, so myself and Todd London were playing steel drums and a great bass player, Rondo De La Vega on bass. Mm. And for that evening, uh, Dorico was playing drums because mm. Todd, I think ran into Dorico and, and said, Hey, I need a drummer. You want to come play with steel band? Dorico's like, okay, cool. Awesome. So, you know, again, getting to play something else while there's a great drum set player yeah, behind okay. you, dude, come on. Priceless. <laughs> um, so, th- so there was that. And then, you know, then the very next morning I've got the church services and then, uh, that the very next day, a session at Ocean Way that was like three percussion and 15 brass. Wow. And it was a stack, you know, like an inch thick of music, you know, and you're, we're just trying to get all the instruments pulled out and set up. We don't have a chance to really look at the music oh, until the conductor calls it up and he says, okay, here we go. Jeez. And we're just, you know, we're trying to figure out how do we get around? How, how can I get to this next instrument? Right. How, but, you know, it, and it's cool because that's, Stuff like that, I, again, going back to, you know, I've, I've always kind of ended up being thrown into the fire. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when you realize what you're worth. That's how you test your metal mm-hmm. is being thrown in the fire. And we don't normally want to just do that. Mm-hmm. You usually have to get kicked in there. Yeah. But, you know, nine times out of 10, if not 10 out of 10, you walk away going, wow, that was really cool. I didn't know I could do that. Right. And there's a skill. I think you develop that skill of knowing how to handle the situation. Not That's letting, a big, yes. Not letting it bog you down. Oh, because you could totally, it's easy to freak out. Yeah. With yeah. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and so that session, that was like a late afternoon into the evening session yeah. of, you know, a stack, inch thick stack of charts, just reading and recording. Jeez. Um, and of course, and, and in that situation, you know, here we are at Ocean Way. Like fifteen brass, few percussion. How many takes? I if, mean, to, were there multiple takes, or would you just was well, everyone? Like a lot of times, he'd call up. We're doing this chart. We take a quick look through. Um, try to figure out like, if, uh, does a trombone pay, player have a page turn at a certain point? Like we can't. We can record up to this point, but then we're going to need to punch in and go further so we can. <laughs> so you don't get the page turn on tape and you don't, you know, you're not losing notes. And yeah, yeah so you got to go through all of that. Okay. All that stuff. Uh, some of them, they're actual tempo changes. Yeah. And if we tried to keep going through, literally there's like a click 
yeah. at the tempo we're playing at. And all of a sudden over that comes a different click to prep the next section. And that doesn't always work out. In fact, most of the time that doesn't work out. So we have to, we have to finish the one section and yeah. then go back and get the new tempo clicks to move on. Okay. Right? So you're piecing it together. So, so we have to piece more of that together. Mm-hmm. But there, I mean, there were some charts we just look at and if everyone agreed, yeah, let's just go top to bottom. Nice. We'd at least jump in and, yeah. and they, from the first take, they're recording. Yeah. You know, even though everyone's sight reading this stuff basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and sometimes it's all great. And sometimes there was an intonation problem between these two instruments or something. Yeah. Um, but that's when the, the additional pressure of, I don't want to be the one in this case, it was like 18 of us total. Right. I don't want to be the one guy who screws up Yes. and says, uh, we got to go back and because yes. it's all in the same room. Yes. You can't, it's, there's no ISO on this. It's all right there. Right. And, and if you don't fess up right away, someone's going to catch it later and be like, son of a gun. Yeah. Why didn't he say? Right. I know. And I think that's the freak out point. It's like, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. And you've got 17 people looking at you and the conductor and the engineer but you and got everyone it. else. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and well, and actually a ways back in the summer, there were, we want we do two or three sessions in a row that day that it was full orchestra. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now we're talking, 60 plus oh in the same gosh. room. Yeah. One person screws up all 60 <sighs> are back to, you know, wow. yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a crazy pressure. Yeah. And it's one of those things you just have to, you kind of walk in thinking about it, but as the ball starts rolling, yeah, it just sort of dissipates. Right. And again, that's experience that's yeah. doing it. That's, and I'm sure that you're getting hired for a combination of reasons your ability to perform, your ability to handle these stressful situations and, and personality and right. order and control. I think that all just starts coming in mm-hmm. into play. Just mm-hmm. the, it's the whole ball of wax right there. Yeah. So, sorry, I got a little off track there. but So that was my Monday. Yep. And then the rest of the week was with the symphony. Yeah. Like five rehearsals and three performances of Mahler's Third Symphony, which one of my colleagues was, I don't know, I think he was serious. He said, you know, that's in the Guinness Book of World Records as the longest symphony. It's like an hour and 40 minutes, six movements. <laughs> so he said, you know, like the first movement is like 38 minutes long. Yeah. And Mahler wrote in the score after the first movement, he wanted there to be a five minute break. And then the rest of the movements back to back. Yeah. So we took our 20 minute intermission at the end of the first <laughs> and then played the rest just yeah. back to back to back. And, and that one, uh, I'm trying to remember what all I was playing. Chris Norton and I had to run off stage at one point and do off stage field drums. Um, and like literally he, he had many measures to get out there and I was playing triangle up until like seven or eight bars before I had to be down the steps out the door and, and composed to now play something totally different. <laughs> right. It was like, cause we had to come in on a certain beat, yeah, but at a different tempo. And the conductor, even they put, I don't know why we even had a screen back there to see the conductor because we were supposed to ignore him. Yeah. Right. I guess, well, to see where the downbeat, the initial go. Okay. Right. Yeah. And then Chris and I just had, we just had to come to terms with each other. Okay. Here, I think we both know where the tempo is. Yeah. You know, and now we just need to breathe together and play together as one. Mm. 
until we get to the end of that. And then as soon as I got to the end, I had to run back out on stage and double the crash symbols with Dave on the next huge entrance, like yeah. a few measures later. Yeah. And so the long and short of it is it was a very stressful week as far as just needing to be uber focused on everything. Yeah. And I had to do a lot of preparation listening to that symphony, you know, checking out my parts, yeah. really getting a, a good ear for what was going on in other parts yeah. of the orchestra so that, you know, if you lose your place or if you, you know, you, you know where you're at yeah, pretty much. Um, so it's not, it can't just be reading. It's gotta, it's gotta be a little more knowing. Right. We, so we do those performances and then I'm at church the next morning rehearsing. Yes. I get the message from you. Well, and now I've also already been practicing because the very next week I was playing West Side Story with Studio 10. Um, in fact, that Sunday night after you and I messaged each other, mm-hmm. I had to go to the first rehearsal for that. And I was playing uh, all the mallet parts. In fact, one of the vibes part parts is frequently on an orchestral audition list. So if you go audition for a major orchestra, yes. this part, so it, it's got some meat to it. Yeah. Yeah. So now, you know, so now I'm going from totally different stuff and drum set that morning yeah. to playing vibes excerpts and stuff and, and timbales and maracas and mm-hmm. castanets and orchestral tambourine. I mean, a whole slew of instruments. And that became my next week. Yes. And then again, church on Sunday and then coming out of that, I had, I think I had a down day. Um, uh, oh, and somewhere in the Mahler, I had to meet up with Cartage to get all my, to get three timpani and vibes and xylophone to get the gear and get it all down there mm-hmm. for the next week. Right. Wow. So I'm trying to back up and say, so there are all these things that I'm, I'm practicing and, and preparing for, and then also having to arrange with Cartage yes. while I'm doing something totally different. I'm arranging with them to get the next thing in place. Mm-hmm. And think it's like chess, man. You you've got to think many moves ahead right. of the move that you're about to make. When Shermerhorn was built, and then the Nashville String Machine, yeah, took over on was, the- was starting to contract an orchestra, a contract orchestra for the opera. Yes, specifically, um, and so once again, I think it was Ron Sorbo got my name in the hat for that. Cause I think he was the first one yeah. called and he, he put my name graciously into that hat. But then, you know, and once again, the, the person contracting that I didn't, you know, we, we I think we knew of each other's names mm-hmm. and that was that never worked together or anything. So all of a sudden it's kind of like starting over, you know, this person doesn't know me or my playing. I have everything to gain and everything to lose. Mm on this gig yeah, right now, um, which is another thing that I think comes up a lot with myself. I mean, it comes up to a degree, I think with every musician, mm-hmm. like the old saying, you're only as good as your last gig, mm. your last performance. Sure. Um, you know, whether it's fair or not, there's a lot of truth to it. Yeah. You know, um, but obviously if you have a long track record with a person or people, yeah, that's going to weigh in on, Oh, he, he had a bad night or something, you know, yeah, it's yeah. not going to be quite like, well, wow, he kind of sucked tonight. He, he's out of here. Or, or so you it's not quite to, like, right. You come to somebody's defense. Like, man, I, I don't, I didn't like that guy. It's like, you know what? You should hear him. Trust me. He's great. right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like in this situation, the first time working with this person 
And, you know, and they're all the pressures on them because it's the first time the, the opera has gone away from the symphony and this is a new contract thing. Yeah. So they've got a lot of pressure to produce with whoever they hired. Yeah. So if I screw up, it's not screwing myself up. It's screwing them up. It's, you know, and so on and right, right. domino effect. Um, but yeah, so that, I mean, there's a lot of that that has to be considered mm-hmm. as well going along with that. But the, the point of, of mentioning that now the opera has finally hired their own or, or appointed their own music director who's a conductor. I think he's up in the Seattle area, but he comes down, he'll, he'll arrange everything. He'll rehearse with them and all this. And then the orchestra comes in. We do a few rehearsals together and do some shows. Wow. Um, well, when he came in, he had already, he had worked with us a few times with the contract as well. And apparently when he came in to that appointment, um, he specifically requested some players mm. and he specifically requested Ron to be on timpani mm-hmm. and specifically requested me to be, to serve as principal percussionist. Wow. I'm like, dude, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, which of course then it means more work on my part, but then it also means more pay mm-hmm. for, for more work. But again, now I have to think even further in advance cause now I've got to, I've got to assign parts. I've got to say who I want hired and, and when, assign parts to them yeah. when these operas come up. But the good thing about that is, like I said, looking at my book into the future, I already know, you know, there are three or four operas that I'm playing on next season. And, you know, here's this one in the fall. Here's this one in January. Here's wow. this one. So that's already out there. Yeah. Um, and through a lot of these same people that I play with on a regular basis, through the contract, through string machine, through the orchestra, I think I'm contracted for three weekends in December for various church programs. Yeah. First Baptist downtown, uh, Covenant Presbyterian in Green Hills. It sits way up on the on the top of the hill. Beautiful, yeah. uh, beautiful sanctuary. You know, so, all stone and so kind of the holiday season. Yeah. So I mean, stuff. so there's already stuff out there, right? So I'm, you know, unlike a lot, a lot of the times, even with myself included, you don't know what's coming up for the yeah, next month, right? Let alone the next two months, let alone. So it's nice to know there's already some stuff out there. Yeah. Right. right. Um, and then of course, teaching adjunct, um, I've, I've kind of been lucky. I've been fortunate to design that where I basically teach all day on Mondays which the symphony almost never has anything on a Monday. Okay. The Monday isn't always like a hopping day in studios, mm-hmm. you know, usually l- later in the week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it, it gets very taxing because like the last few years, my Monday has basically been, I teach drum set and percussion lessons and have a percussion ensemble and occasionally a percussion methods class, you know, teaching brass players how to play percussion right Right, right, that's a whole other challenge but uh my monday has generally been for the last few years teaching from like 8 a.m to 7 p.m with a one-hour lunch break but but it's it's so that i can just say monday is my teaching day yes and it's so that also as as a teacher to my students monday's our day one thing i hate is when people are pushing you to hire them. Hmm. You know, can you get me hired on this? Can you get, Hmm. so that, I mean, that's one thing I've tried really hard to never even approach Hmm. is making someone feel like I'm, 
I'm basically asking them for a gig. Like, can you hire yeah. me on this thing? Yeah, can you, yeah. Got any sessions coming up? Got yeah. any? That's yeah. the last thing I want to do because again, man, I think the personality, that whole thing just plays so heavily into it right, right. that you, you get written off very quickly if, if you ask too much or if you're too pushy mm. and that, so I just letting your work speak for itself. Uh, yes. Yes. Personality. I try to just step back and not mess with any of that, which, you know, for, for me, I feel that's worked very well. Yeah. You know, every, I mean, everyone has their own situation. Sure. What I do is not necessarily exactly what someone else should do by any stretch of the imagination. But for me, it's worked out very well. I yeah. think that's worked out better than. Yeah, you're you're the guest pushy. today. So, so we're going to talk about what's worked out. Well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, as a default setting <laughs> for a freelance drummer percussionist. Yeah. Default setting is, and unless there's some screaming red light in front of you to not take a gig, mm-hmm. you you take a gig yeah. in general. Yeah, something I had to come to terms with. Fortunately, before we started having kids, was you know what, I my my preference would be to be playing as much as possible. Yeah, but you have to if you don't think about anything else. Yeah, than than just the playing part of it. Yeah you can really, I think, screw up your life mm-hmm. by, you, you know, feeling the need to always have to do this and do that. Well, it, the more you do, the more sucky situations you're going to end up playing in, mm-hmm. whether you like it or not. Yeah. And, and early on, when I started to find myself in some of those situations, I'm like, you know, th- there's a real easy solution. And that's to, if, if a red flag is coming up at all, you don't take the gig. Mm-hmm. And if you feel... If you feel like saying no is going to cost you somehow down the road, just invent a convenient, mm-hmm. polite reason why, you know, oh, no, I'm out of town that weekend. Yeah. You know, you don't have to start going into some in-depth lie or something, but just, no. yeah. you know, to try to not be rude to right, someone, right. I would rather say I'm out of town that weekend. You're almost saying that, you know, if you're concerned about saying no is going to affect you negatively, sometimes saying yes to certain situations to a situation that has that red flag will come is going to be worse than saying no yeah. than just flat out saying no. Yeah. And maybe you take some consequences for saying no, yeah. but if you had said yes, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. There, there can be, you know, if, if there's poison in the water, don't drink it. Yeah. You and know? that could be different for every person. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, uh, let's see, who's the drummer, Steve Grossman. Yeah. has a book, Why I Failed in the Music Business and What You Should Do. Uh, and I'm going to totally, sorry, Steve, I'll totally screw this up. But, you know, basically what to not do, yeah. right, to follow in his footsteps. Yeah. But, you know, he talked in, in the book at one point, he talks about crabs in a bucket. And I love, if you've never heard the, the story, if, you, if you're on the beach trying to catch crabs, yeah. if you have an empty bucket and you put one in, the first thing it's going to do is try to climb out of the bucket. Yeah. As soon as you get two or three in there, one tries to climb up and the others pull it back down. They drag you back into the bucket so you can't get out. Yeah. And that's what he was talking about, like some of his life on the road. Yeah. It was like everyone on the bus, you know, night after night, just complaining about what they don't have yeah. or why. Uh, I think he specifically said, you know, there was a big thing about everyone complaining about why is achy breaky heart the top <laughs> It's like, what a stupid song. What a this, what, you know, and like in hindsight, he's going, well, 
Someone made a lot of money off that. Someone made a career off that. Someone, you know, there's, there's a lot of good things. Right. Right. That came out of it. All the crabs, all the crabs in the bucket are just pulling you back in. And, and I realized, you know, I went through a lot of that in my early years in town. Yeah. And I had to figure out that I was actually caught up in that. Yes. And get myself out of it, which then led me to these situations. If I see some of those red flags coming up, dude, don't be a crab in the bucket. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. what is it? Is it the textbook de- definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over expecting different results. Yes. Right. Yes. So if you see one of those, if you see it coming, you've got a choice. And and one of the things I really liked in, with Steve's book was, you know, think, if you're not thinking about that, if you're not thinking about what you want in the future, mm-hmm. you know, it, then it's being chosen for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, there's only so much we can control. But if you if yes. if you have a fixed point, yes, this is at least that's the direction. You know, I, uh, between here and there, there's wiggle room. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you're basically headed towards that fixed point, mm-hmm. more often than not, you're going to be happy. I think because you're doing more or less what you want to do getting paid more or less what you feel is fair mm-hmm. and not, you know, I think people are going to be like, Oh, that's a great idea. You know, just cool. to be able to slowly forge the path that you first, you know, see yourself in, you know, uh, yeah. the work that you want to take, uh, that once the cast is die, um, is in place, mm-hmm. uh, with family, with kids yeah that you're already on the way you're already rolling yeah because it's 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 hard to deviate it's it's a challenge man for sure yeah yeah but but it's a welcome challenge yeah yeah Yeah. and like i said with lots of these uh, lots of these interviews with everything that's going on to take the time to sit down and talk to me is awesome man yeah absolutely yeah scott uh one slammed the rest of the week fortunately (laughs) What's it, what do they call and you? One T? One T. One T. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, man. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Keep these coming. Awesome. That was my conversation with Scott. Uh, one of the things that we addressed very lightly was attitude. Uh, the thing about Scott that I've known as long as I've known him for the last 16 years is he's always a bright, kind, uh, and very open individual. And, um, it's just always a treat to see him out and about, and uh, I think that we did not put enough emphasis on attitude being an important part of finding work and keeping work, and Scott is just a, a perfect example of that type of individual. Uh, I really enjoyed getting to know him a little bit more, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did, learning just his passion and his zeal for percussion and all things drums and ethnic percussion and his ability to maintain a strong, active career while raising a family. My thanks always to Mike Jackson for his technical help. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview. Please, uh, once again, uh, interact with us uh, on Twitter, Instagram, hashtag WorkingDrummer. We'll find you and repost anything that you have, uh, pictures, Uh, videos. Uh, It's been really fun to kind of share a lot of the stuff that everybody out there is doing on our Facebook and uh, uh, Twitter accounts. So again, thanks for everyone's support. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you around.
拜。